In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. Well, the U.S. stock markets finished up the worst week of trading since August when everybody believed a September rate hike was right around the corner with some substantial triple-digit losses across the board. The Dow Jones closed down 309 points, almost 4% on the week, similar percentage decline for the uh, the S&P 500. The Nasdaq dropped 111 points, uh, closing now back below 5,000, 49.33 it was over a 4% decline on the week uh, for the NASDAQ. Now, believe it or not, the media is blaming this decline on the drop in oil prices. Oil was down again to a new seven-year low. We closed down another buck 14, I believe at 35.62 was the last price I saw uh, for Brent crude. Yes, oil prices are weighing on some stocks. Clearly, oil companies... Uh, are going to suffer when the price of the commodity they're selling is going down. So certainly you can blame the decline in oil stocks on the decline in uh, the oil price, but not all stocks. There are a lot of stocks that benefit from low oil prices. Uh, oil prices are a cost of doing business for a lot of companies, and so lower oil prices means their costs are going down, which means their profit are going up. Case in point, the Dow Transportations. Right, transportation companies, railroads, airlines, these are big users of oil. And obviously, lower oil prices means that they can 
generate higher profits or maybe they can lower prices to consumers and get more volume, more demand because of it. So they should certainly benefit. Yet the Dow Transports was actually weaker than any of the other index. It was down more on a percentage basis on Friday than either the Dow or even the S&P. And in fact, on the week, the Dow Transportation stocks was down almost five and a half percent. So riddle me this, Batman. If it's oil prices that are driving the stock market down, why are they also driving the transportations down? The answer is they're not. You see, the truth is oil prices and stock prices are going down for the same reason. It's not that lower oil prices are causing the market to go down. They're both going down for the same reason. And that reason is a slowing global economy, including the U.S. economy, and the fact that the Federal Reserve is threatening to slow it even faster by raising interest rates. That is what is driving the market down. It's driving oil down and it's driving stocks down. And in fact, some of the biggest losers are not even in the stock market, but in the bond market. The high yield bond market is getting obliterated. If you look at some of these funds uh, that own high yield bonds, these funds got clobbered this week. In fact, they are now at their lowest level since mid 2009. And in fact, if the Fed does raise interest rates next week, they're probably going to take out their lows from late 2008, early 2009. It is a bloodbath in that high-yield bond market. And why are they not benefiting from lower oil prices? Because, again, uh, lower oil prices are lower costs, and it also means less inflation, which, in theory, should be good for this market. Now, I will grant you that a chunk of the high-yield bond market is energy companies. And certainly, energy companies are hurting big time with low oil prices. So that part of the high-yield market is certainly going to be in trouble. But the high-yield market goes way beyond energy companies. There are a lot of other companies uh, in the junk bond market. And what is really hurting them, it's two things. It's the fear of higher interest rates, thanks to the Fed. And probably more importantly, the slowing U.S. economy and the fact that it's going to slow down even further if the Fed raises rates. In fact, we are headed for recession if we're not already in one. And recession is very bad for the high-yield bond market. The reason is as follows. These companies uh, depend on their revenues to pay the interest on their debt. And in a recession, when your revenues are falling, it makes it harder to service your debt. And in fact, it makes it harder to repay your debt when the debt comes due. And certainly in a rising interest rate environment, that makes all bonds less valuable, particularly higher yielding bonds, because the higher yield is no longer as attractive on a relative basis because yields are rising on less uh, risky investments. You see, the Federal Reserve, by leaving interest rates at zero for so long, forced a lot of Americans who needed to make up for the lack of yield into these high-yield bond funds. And since there was so much demand for high-yielding bonds, a lot of these risky companies that normally wouldn't have access to credit were able to borrow all sorts of money because Wall Street was able to sell it because people were hungry for yield thanks to the Fed. That's the same thing that happened in the subprime market. You had all sorts of 
uh, uh, people around the world, institutions that needed yield, and the mortgage market was where they got it. So because there was so much demand uh, for mortgage debt on Wall Street, it was so easy for non-credit-worthy borrowers to get a loan. Well, the same thing is happening in this high-yield market. In fact, uh, Carl Icahn was on CNBC again on Friday morning. I put a post on my uh, a Facebook page, but he, was, he referred to this as a powder keg. And he's right. It is a powder keg that the Federal Reserve created, and now they're about to light the match, in theory, if they raise interest rates uh, next week, which, again, is another reason why they, they might not do it. You know, in fact, in my last um, podcast, right, I, I, I spoke about the fact that for the first time, it looked like the Fed might actually raise interest rates. And I noticed a lot of people put comments on my YouTube channel. Oh, so then why don't you admit you were wrong, right? You kept saying that the Federal Reserve couldn't raise interest rates. It was impossible. And now you're saying that they might do it. So therefore you were wrong. Well, I don't think I was wrong because the Fed is trying to change the the nature of that rate hike. The point of my last video blog was that the Fed had tried to alter the narrative The reason I always said that the Fed can't raise interest rates is not because I didn't think the market could handle, at least in the short run, a 25 basis point hike. It was because I didn't think the markets could handle the anticipation of all the additional rate hikes that would follow. You see, markets look into the future. They anticipate future events and then they price them in. So the beginning of the tightening, right, liftoff, right, that's why they called it liftoff, because it was the beginning of a journey. So once we lifted off, then I thought markets would look beyond the liftoff to where we were ultimately headed and start pricing that in. And the stock market can't handle that. The high-yield bond market can't handle that. None of the markets can handle that. So what the Federal Reserve did is they assured the markets with their rhetoric that the liftoff didn't matter, that it didn't matter when the first hike was. Don't worry about the later hikes. And there the Fed started saying, don't worry, you know, we're going to be very slow. You know, there's people starting to think one and done. That's why I called that a trial balloon, because the Federal Reserve wanted to see how the markets might handle or react to an idea of a tiny symbolic rate hike just to prove we can do it. And then a long period of time before there's another one if, in fact, there ever is another one. And initially, it looked as if the markets were kind of buying it, right? For, there, for a while, the Dow was flirting with its highs again. It didn't make new highs, but it wasn't selling off. But remember, I kept saying we've still got plenty of time for the market to decline. And in fact, that is what is already happening. The markets are now getting crushed because maybe that trial balloon is not going to go over so well. Maybe it's going to be you know, like the Hindenburg, that the market doesn't care that the Fed is promising not to raise rates again anytime soon. Uh, they're not, you know, they're not going to wait around. They're worried. They're figuring, you know what? The minute the Fed moves, that's it. And everything is unraveling. And if you remember... We had this Black Monday. Now, we had that week, very weak uh, trading in August. Then we had a Black Monday uh, with reference to the Black Monday in 1987 in October. And, you know, of course, it wasn't as bad as that. But we've got a Monday coming up this week 
which could be another Black Monday. The technicals on the market look awful. Everybody is getting ready for the Fed to raise rates next week. So we could have a huge decline in the stock market on Monday. And if we do, when the Fed meets on Tuesday, you better believe that that stock market collapse is going to be high on their agenda. And, you know, remember, when the Fed called off the rate hike last time, which was responsible, the fear of that hike is why the market was collapsing. And when the Fed didn't hike rates and we got the weak jobs numbers and we rallied 2,000 points, right, the Fed blamed its failure to raise interest rates on the problems in the global economy. Well, none of those problems have been solved since the Fed said there's too many problems abroad to raise rates. In fact, you can argue that those problems are worse. But what is worse is the problems in the U.S. market. The U.S. economy is much weaker than it was in August. If you look at all the data that has come out since then, other than the backward-looking jobs report, which means nothing, but all of the forward-looking indicators are flashing recession. The junk bond market, high-yield bond market, is flashing recession. You know, there was this guy on who was interviewed on CNBC. I was watching him yesterday. And he was saying, oh, don't worry about a recession because recessions don't usually start until after the two-year yield. Uh, is above the 10-year yield, right? He's looking for an inverted yield curve. And I'm thinking, is this guy that clueless? I mean, this is not a normal tightening cycle. None of those recessions began where the Fed had interest rates at zero for seven years. You got to throw those rule books out the window uh, as far as looking at what happened in the past to try to figure out what's going to happen now. See, I said the same thing during the housing bubble. People used to tell me, Peter, you're predicting this decline in real estate prices. I was predicting a 30 to 50% decline in national home prices, which happened. And people were saying, but Peter, that's never happened in the past. So it's never going to happen again. And I would always say, yes, but what also never happened in the past was this huge increase uh, financed uh, the way it is. So I said, you can't look at the past and say we've never had uh, a decline in national home prices and ignore the incredible rise that we've also never had. Right? These are unprecedented times. So what's going to happen is also unprecedented. And we are not going to get an inverted yield curve that precedes this recession because the Fed's not going to let it happen. And the Fed started raising interest rates a couple of years ago, not by raising rates, but by tightening monetary conditions uh, by first threatening to taper and then tapering QE and then uh, threatening to raise rates and then maybe raising them. It's their rhetoric, which has effectively tightened monetary conditions. And they've now tightened them to the point where we are in recession or on the cusp of recession. In fact, the data that came out this week that was most indicative of the recession on its way is the inventory data and, you know, and and wholesale sales. On Wednesday, we got a report uh, that wholesale trade inventories were down 0.1% in October. They were looking for an increase of 0.2. Instead, we got a decline of 0.1. And the prior month, which had been originally reported as up 0.5%, was now downwardly revised to being only up 0.2. Now, this is going to subtract from both the revisions to third quarter GDP and the fourth quarter GDP. And we're already going to get subtractions based on the larger than expected trade deficits. But on Friday, we got the uh, business inventories numbers that came out, and they were, again, looking for an increase of just 0.1. Instead, the increase was zero. And last month's increase 
that was supposed to be 0.3 was just 0.1. So that means businesses are spending less money now building up their inventories, which is what I've been saying was going to happen all along because they have already spent too much money building inventories they can't sell. And that is one of the reasons that the GDP numbers were higher was because of all the mistakes that businesses were making because they believed that there was a recovery coming and they wanted to prepare for that. And, you know, and it didn't happen. And in fact, the business inventory to sales ratios in October rose for the first time since 2009 recession, right, to 1.38, 1.38. This is a new high. We have not been there. We have been trending up, but this is the highest we have been. And so that means that even though businesses didn't add to their inventories because sales declined, the inventory to sales ratios are now even higher, again, which suggests that we have a lot more work to do to get inventories back down to normal levels, which means future GDP is going to be quite low. It also means don't buy anything, uh, you know, between now and Christmas or, you know, don't even buy the after Christmas sales. Wait for the New Year's Day sales. That's where you're going to get your best buys because all of these companies have just so much stuff that their customers are too broke to buy. Even with the cheap oil prices, even with the low gas you know, tax cut, uh, consumers still can't spend. So imagine how much worse it would be if, if oil prices went up, or imagine how much worse it would be if the Fed raised interest rates and now uh, their, their credit card costs went up or their, their variable rate home mortgage went up. I mean, think of all the things that's going to happen. Or, of course, you've got a lot of people that maybe are in the high-yield market and they're going to see the value of their uh, bond funds collapse and they're losing wealth or the reverse wealth effect from the decline in the stock market. I mean, again, that is why it's so important to the Fed uh, that the markets not collapse when they raise rates, which is why there is a very, very good chance that if this market continues to decline into Wednesday, that the Fed is not going to raise interest rates. Now, what are they going to blame it on? What is going to be the excuse this time around? I mean, you could pick one. There's all sorts of excuses that they can come up with. They can certainly pretend uh, that they were about to raise rates, but something happened having absolutely nothing to do with the U.S. economy, right? Because they cannot admit that they're worried about the U.S. economy uh, if they don't raise rates. They have to make up another excuse. But if they do not raise rates in uh, in December, as I said in my video blog, I don't think there's any point in time between now and the election that they will raise rates. Right? So this is their only time to do it. And as I said, if they do raise rates in December, it's going to be the only time they do it because there's going to be no stopping the market's decline. Right? The last time we had that big rally in the stock market was because there was some relief on the rate front. People started thinking, hey, wait, maybe the Fed's not going to raise rates. Well, if the Fed does raise rates, well, then there's no hope that they're not going to because they already have. Then the question is, does the market believe the Fed that they're not going to do it again? But you know what? You know, why take any chances? These markets are so overpriced. Uh, there's so much risk. In fact, this week, there was a hedge fund that operates in the high-yield bond market and distressed debt. And they got so many redemptions from their investors that they closed the fund, which means if you're invested in this hedge fund, you can't get your money out. And one of the reasons you can't get your money out is because the fund can't get its money out because there's no liquidity in the market and they're trying to sell their high yield bonds to satisfy their redemptions and the bidders aren't there. 
you know, and this again is how the implosion began in the subprime market. And now you're seeing it in high yield in general. But again, all of this, these are the consequences of the Fed. You know, was it Warren Buffett's quote that, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's been swimming naked? I mean, so the tide starts to come out, right, when the Fed raises rates. I've been saying all along that all of this premature self-congratulations on the part of the Fed by saying, hey, everything worked, right? We saved the day. Our, our quantitative easing was great. Our 0% interest rates were great. All those people out there, like the Peter Schiff's, were called, they never mentioned me, but, you know, the naysayers, the Austrians, right, the gloom and doomers, they were all wrong because it's worked spectacularly. Well, I've always said you cannot claim victory until you end the program. You can't see the damage until you take away the stimulus, right? You, you, it's like that's when the hangover starts uh, from all of your, your drunken partying the night before. So what the Fed has to do in order to be vindicated and to say guys like me are wrong is you end your program, normalize interest rates, not just raise them from zero to 0.25, bring them back to normal, shrink your balance sheet back down to where it was, and then if everything is still okay, if it hasn't all fallen apart, if everything is good, then I'll, I'll admit that I was wrong and you, can, and, and you can take your bow. But don't try to claim success before you've even tried to raise rates from zero to a quarter. And in fact, that's all the Fed is really talking about doing now. Even though they've changed the conversation from liftoff to this is going to be a hoverboard, right? We're not going anywhere. We're just going to symbolically lift rates by a quarter of a point just so we can create some false sense of confidence. Because people are now saying, well, if the Fed doesn't raise rates by a quarter, well, I mean, they must really be afraid. Well, they are afraid. <laughs> and the only reason they might raise rates is to cover that fear up. Because anybody who looks at this data in an objective manner, it's horrible, we, have, we are headed for recession. Of course, just we're due. It's been six years, seven years since we've had one. I mean, you don't have to be an economic genius to know that we're going to have another one. I mean, the Fed hasn't repealed the business cycle at all. Uh, and so we're due for one. And all the data, again, except this backward-looking uh, employment data. But how long do you think these bubble jobs are going to stay around when the economy goes into recession? See, just like uh, businesses bought too much inventory, based on a recovery that's not coming. They hired too many people for the same reason. Businesses just don't have a surplus of goods they can't sell. They have a surplus of employees they don't need, right? And so just as the economy is going back into recession, that's where they're going to start laying people off. And supposedly the only data that's supposed to count is the jobless data when that's the only data that's backward looking. So just when the Fed says, aha, unemployment is low enough uh, for us to raise rates, that's when unemployment is about to skyrocket, right? But they've already said that that's the data they're looking at. So what are they going to do if the unemployment rate picks up? In fact, we got the weekly um, uh, unemployment claims that came out this week, which unexpectedly rose to the highest level in five months. Now, granted, they're still low, but maybe this is the turn. Now they're at the highest in five months, and you know they can keep spiking up, and in fact, they will. And if the Fed raises rates and the market crashes and the bond market crashes and all these companies now have to start laying people off, right? obviously those numbers are going to go much, much higher. In fact, this is what really scares the Fed. Let's assume that they do raise interest rates on Wednesday. 
and then the market tanks even more. What are they going to do? How are they going to stop it? They can't. Now the markets are in free fall because now there's no Yellen put. Yellen took it away because you can't raise rates and then immediately take it back the next day, right? That you, you look completely foolish. So that is why it's so dangerous for the Fed to play this game of a symbolic rate hike just to prove they can do it because the minute they do it and now the markets collapse, now what do they do? They have to sit back and wait for the unemployment numbers uh, to come out bad so they don't look like they're just beholden to the market because the Fed doesn't want to look like it's setting monetary policy based on the market. Even though it may be doing that, they don't want to admit it. And so if they raise rates, if the market tanks and then all of a sudden they cut them, right, then it's obvious. So the best thing that the Fed can do is not raise rates, but not mention the market, even though that's the reason they're not doing it, among other things, blame it on something and then allow the stock market to rise. And now the Fed has dodged another bullet. Right? That, that is probably what they're going to do uh, if they're smart. But if they really feel they've backed themselves into this corner, as you know, so many people are now telling them that they've got to raise rates, uh, then you know, we could be in for a wild, wild ride. Uh, and ultimately, if they do raise rates, I do believe that it will set uh, in motion uh, bigger declines in the markets, despite uh, Janet Yellen's efforts to, to move down the expectations for future rate hikes. The markets are so expensive and the economy is so weak uh, that when the Fed does have to lower interest rates later in 2016 and launch QE4, it's going to have to be a much bigger dose uh, than otherwise would have been the case had they just left rates at zero the entire time. And the Fed is going to lose even more of its credibility because it will be obvious they don't know what they're doing. At least if they don't raise rates, they can try to pretend that they, you know, they were smart enough not to do it because they were still worried about the economy and their worries uh, were actually uh, validated by reality. But if they raise interest rates and then the economy goes into recession, they can't claim they saw it, saw it coming. They have to admit that they were completely blindsided again by the recession and whatever credibility they still have will be lost. And I think ultimately the gains from betting against the Fed's credibility, and that means by owning foreign assets, owning foreign currencies, owning precious metals, will be that much greater, even though it might be a bumpy ride, even though an initial rate hike might put some pressure on those markets, the inevitable rate cut and launch of QE4 will only send them that much higher. And by the way, gold uh, was positive on Friday. I mean, it wasn't up a lot, but it wasn't down. It was down at one point during the morning, about eight bucks. Then it rallied to about up eight bucks, so about a $16 rally. Uh, it closed up maybe two or three dollars. Uh, gold stocks were mixed. Uh, some were up, some were down, but the indexes overall were down slightly. Uh, they outperformed the, um, the overall market. And the dollar was down against major currencies that are not related to commodities, right? The Canadian dollar was very weak near multi-year lows, but the euro was strong, the yen was strong, the pound was strong, and the fact that the dollar is falling against the euro uh, and the yen in particular should be very, very uh, problematic and very troubling. And again, if everybody expects a rate hike on 
Wednesday and the euro and the yen are rising in the face of that expectations that tells you that the buy the rumor, sell the fact trade has already begun, that they're not waiting for the fact to sell. They're selling on the anticipation of the fact, which means when we actually get the fact, the sell off of the dollar against those currencies can accelerate. And at some point, if the economy is weak enough or the stock market is weak enough, then I think the weakness in the dollar is going to spill over into those commodity currencies. Currencies as the markets now start looking beyond the first rate hike, if we even get it, to the next rate cut and QE4, which will be extremely bullish for these commodities. And by the way, I think that capacity in that sector is being significantly cut back. People are talking about over, over, uh, oversupply. But I think in the future, it's going to be shortages that come into the fore because I think a lot of the capacity is going to be taken offline. And when the dollar tanks across the board, that's going to ignite tremendous demand uh, for commodities, which are priced in dollars by making them cheaper for people buying in other currencies. So I think you're going to see an incredible increase in demand and you're not going to have the supply and it's going to be a brand new commodity bull market. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. 